sounds pretty good. Well, I think so. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I dare say. Yeah. I dare say. Welcome to Super Duperstitious, the paranormal podcast where we look at the spooky from the perspective of, of the a couple science. of scientists. Yeah. <laughs> of the science. Yes. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And welcome back, everybody. Um, this week, we are continuing our August Around the, the World. And this time, we are headed to, I believe, Canada? Canada. And I forget who goes foist. I believe... What did we do last year? I mean, last week? <laughs> it does feel like a year ago. It does. Uh, India. India, and I think you went first. I did, so it would be you. But before you go, I have an update on the Phantom <gasps> of the Chicago. <laughs> That's how it goes. Uh, so... For those of you listening for the first time or who have just forgotten or who have never cared, the Phantom of the Chicago is the name assigned to this creature flying around in the greater Chicago area that looks like a giant bat monster, frequently described with glowing red eyes. Mm-hmm. Mostly sighted throughout 2017, but there have been ongoing sightings since then. Most right. notably, uh, we have a field correspondent by the name of Sean Wayne, the fire killer, Kulisuskis, who has been keeping us apprised on some of his own experiences with that. Uh, superduperstitious.com slash field reports. But Do this check is, them out. But a lot of these have been coming um, through uh, phantomsandmonsters.com, a site curated by Lon Strickler. The lawnmower man. That's right. And uh, here's here's more of that <laughs> from him. <laughs> but this is the reason I bring it up is because this happened last week. Ooh. Uh, Monday, August 12, 2019, I received an email and then a telephone call from Mark Hagen of the South Shore Ghostbusters. Oh he wanted to report a sighting of a large winged humanoid. It's so I. You can say winged. Winged feels right to me now. It I does. Don't know. Me too. I I, I <laughs> go back. I retract my earlier uh, criticism. <laughs> large winged humanoid in the um, Hammond, Indiana area, which occurred August 2018. The coordinates of the sighting was uh, 41.656717, 87.508381. That's how you know it's real. Yeah. Thanks, Lon. And also South Shore Ghostbusters. Uh, <laughs> Hagen's statement is, uh, quote, it was August of 2018. Also, actually, it happened a year ago. Why did you wait a year? Oh, whatever. My wife and I were driving south on Calumet Avenue and were coming up to the red light at one, uh, 131st Street when we heard what sounded like leather rustling. What? You know the sound. When you have, like, big stacks of leather, you're just kind of <laughs> shuffling it around. Yeah. We looked at the retention pond to our left and saw a glowing red, what I am going to assume were eyes, and saw a large bat-like creature take to the skies. Mm-hmm. So, good start, but the meter could use some work, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hardly iambic. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, um, was dark-colored <laughs> and easily had to be about six feet or more tall from what I could make out. Wingspan was close to ten feet or more. I hope it wasn't more tall. Uh, about a week or so later, driving with my colleague in the South Shore Ghostbusters, I read that before I had um, read the initial thing from Lon. I was like, what the fuck does that sentence mean? Mm-hmm. And I was a, a colleague of his from that group he belongs to. <laughs> so now now I get it. Uh, oh, wait. Could you read it again? Uh, about a week or so later, driving with my colleague in the South Shore Ghostbusters. My colleague and the South Shore Ghostbusters? In the South Shore Ghostbusters. My colleague in the South Shore Ghostbusters. Belongs to the same group as he does. <laughs> yes, of course. But when I just read that, without the context of what the South Shore Ghostbusters was, right. I was like, what? 
what, what? what is happening. Where is the South Shore Ghostbusters? So, okay. I like that they had to distinguish themselves as the South Shore Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not the Uptown Ghostbusters. <laughs> Those fuckers. Uh, this time we saw it atop the Klein Avenue overpass like it was eating something. We turned around only to oh see boy. it take off to the skies once more. We have been investigating the area and found the particular this particular creature sticks close to the water. We have heard multiple accounts of seeing red glowing lights over the water over the waters of the Lost Marsh since June or so of this year. Hagen told me this is his uh, so that's the end of his quote. Hagen told me that he is very familiar with the large fowl in the area, and that this being was not oh, and that this being was definitely not one of the indigenous birds known to inhabit the areas around Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Again, not the typical use of that word, Lon, but Mm-mm. fine. Mm-mm. Um, the Phantoms and Monsters Fortean team plans to go to the area for further investigation, Lon. Mm. I do like this a deal where this this guy from this ghost hunting team just told Lon, yeah, I know the birds that live there. I know those birds. And Lon's like, okay, well, then it can't be a bird. You know all the birds that are there. We're the South Shore Ghostbusters and Audubon Society. <laughs> yes. So, uh, um, Lost Marsh, he said. Lost Marsh, yeah. And he's saying, you know, this thing, this is also some of the initial reports of the Phantom in Chicago were close to Lake Michigan, like just being near the water. Mm-hmm. Now that says to me, in both these cases, it's probably a bird. It's probably a water bird. Yeah. Probably is one of the large waterfowl. And you guys are probably wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Lost Marsh. Okay. I found the Lost Marsh golf course. That's where all of those um, like dead people were from that previous battle. Yeah. yeah. They stare and you feel drawn to them. And then you fall in. And then, and then you become one of them. Mm-hmm. But they have a lot of fun. Good naps. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see what happens. <laughs> and this has been the Phantom of the Chicago <laughs> update. Good. So this week's premise, yeah, is the continuation of August around... <laughs> Sorry, you were not ready at all. <laughs> the world. And uh, we're going to Canada. Take it away, Monsieur Shell. All right. Well, I have today two tales of half-dog, half-men but from two different cultural origins, uh, all within a semi-contiguous range. Um, Mm. These are examples of loose mythological convergence, I thought, which is kind of cool. Ooh. And, uh, you know, resemble again, or represent, I should say, again, the apparently universal human fascination with the animal-beast part of ourselves. Yeah. Everyone wants to turn into a wolf for some reason. (laughs) So I suppose the best equivalency modern American culture has offered is the Animorphs series of children's <laughs> books turned short-lived TV series. I thought you were going to say furries, so that's probably... <laughs> yeah, um, that's a that's a whole other bag of worms, isn't it? Um, in which, if you guys... Is that how you start your worms? That, in a giant fursuit? <laughs> oh. oh, God, can you imagine? <laughs> and who's this? And you just see worms, like, oozing out of the mouth hole. But somehow like, it is kind I, of lurching forward. Yeah, like, shambling around. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how did it make sound? Um, but right, if you guys are not familiar with the Animorphs story... Um, it's uh, it's a series of children's books in which little kids gain the ability to morph into whatever creatures they touch. It's the gift of this alien race called the Andalites, who are fighting against the alien race called the Yurks, who the are little Yerks. slugs that get into people's slugs. brains yeah, and they make control you, them. Make you bad. 
can make you steal cookies and punch your mom in the face. Um, yeah, so Jake. <laughs> I'm so excited remembering all this just off of the top. Like, oh my God, this is all just there in my brain. Jake just anamorphed into <laughs> knowing about anamorphs. Yep. And I see you're also sitting on a stack of about 3,000 anamorphs books. This is true. This which is, is fully 2,000 more than were written. <laughs> Um, I was always excited because one of the main characters' names was Jake. Ah, uh, yes. This is true. This is true. Um, the series was famously written by Catherine Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant, both of whom famously also gained the ability to become authors after touching all the books in the grocery store aisle. <laughs> so, on to the actual tales. The first is a bit of Inuit mythology. Mm. Uh, this is the tale of the origin of the Adlet and of the Cadlunate. Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce... A ton of stuff my apologies um, these were also recorded or this tale was recorded by Franz Boas a German-born American anthropologist uh, considered the father of American anthropology hmm. uh, he actually earned his doctorate in physics while also studying geography and it was this study that <laughs> took as we him- all know physics plus geography equals anthropology exactly the volcano of science <laughs> um, it was this study that took him to northern Canada on expedition where he became fascinated with the culture and language of the Baffin Island Inuit. Further, to his credit, Boaz was one of the most prominent opponents of the then popular ideology of scientific racism, which is exactly as abominable and backwards as it sounds. He showed through empirical study, no less, that this idea was steaming hot garbage, so I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Read about the guy, he is a role model, and you'll be better off for it. Okay, without further ado. Uh, Saverkong, an old man, lived alone with his daughter. Her name was Nivyarsyang, a.k.a. the girl. But as she, uh, she would not take a husband, she was also called a long name, <laughs> which means she who would not take a husband. She refused all her suitors, but at last a dog spotted white and red, whose name was Isher Kong. I should have managed to find any given story from any given part of the world that has the hardest things for you to pronounce. <laughs> Listen to the most recent minisode of all the Japanese names. And <laughs> I haven't actually listened yet. I am sure I am like, um, well... Here we are again. <laughs> Here we are again. Um, the dog won her affection and she took him for a husband. Oh, dear. Uh, they had 10 children, five of whom were Adlet and five dogs. The lower part of the body of the Adlet was that of a dog and hairy all over. The souls accepted. While the upper part was that of a man. When the children grew up, they became very voracious. And as uh, the dog husband did not go out hunting at all but let his father-in-law provide for the whole family it was <laughs> difficult for the father-in-law to feed them i'm just going to refer to their titles rather than their names <laughs> moreover the children were awfully clamorous and noisy so at last the grandfather got tired of it put the whole family into his boat and carried them to a small island he told the dog husband to come every day and fetch meat the girl hung a pair of boots around his neck, and he swam across the narrow channel. But the father-in-law, instead of giving him meat, filled the boots with heavy stones, oh, no. which drowned the dog husband when he attempted to return to the island. 
The daughter thought of revenging the death of her husband. She sent the young dogs to her father's hut and let them gnaw off his hands and feet. Oh, God. (laughs) In return, the father-in-law, when the daughter happened to be in his boat, threw her overboard and cut (laughs) off her fingers when she held on to the gunwale. Which is a pretty impressive feat once he no longer has hands or feet. I tell you. Yeah, how did... Well, you know, he found a way. Hmm. As her fingers fell into the sea, they were transformed into seals and whales. At last, he allowed her to climb into the boat. As she feared that her father might think of killing or maiming her children, she ordered the ablet to go inland, where they became the ancestors of a numerous people. Hmm. Hmm. She made a boat for the young dogs, setting up two sticks for masts in the soles of her boots, and sent the puppies across the ocean. She sang, When you arrive there across the ocean, you will make many things, giving you joy. They arrived in the land beyond the sea and became the ancestors of the Europeans, which is just awesome. <laughs> so there you have it. That is the Inuit tale of the origin of the Adlet, uh, along with the Kadlunite. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I'm sure. But, you know, a very mythological focused tale. Yeah, a cool kind of creation myth thing where things turn into other things and are there reasons behind why certain stuff is the way it is, which is always really interesting to see how different stuff is explained exactly but an unmistakable sort of werewolfish type yeah being is formed in the story though certainly not following the same uh lore that we might see from people such as let's say the quebecois (laughs) so here is their tale long ago in a tiny quebec village a miller lived alone on the banks of the river he did not like to mix with others He loved his solitude, and he thought other people foolish and superstitious, too devoted to old-fashioned beliefs. One day, a tall, bearded man knocked upon the miller's door. He smiled broadly, tipped his hat, and asked the miller if he might have some work for a stranger. The miller liked the stranger's look, and if truth be told, he did need help. And so he hired the man. one good-looking stranger. Yeah, I got some work for you, friend. (laughs) The miller was pleased with Hubert for that was the hired man's name. Hubert was reliable and wasn't greedy. And best of all, like the miller, he loved to play checkers and had little use for idle chat. Every evening after work, the two men would share a game or two of checkers. Afterward, Hubert slipped away for a while and left the miller to himself. That suited the miller just fine. Wonder what he was doing. Hmm. (laughs) One deep wintry night... When the trees creaked with the white, uh, oh, sorry. One deep wintry night, when the trees creaked with the weight of the snow and the wind howled like, oh, I don't know, wolves. <laughs> the two men sat playing checkers when Hubert asked, "Have you heard the talk? People say a werewolf, a loup garou, is about." The miller laughed. Idle people's dreams. He sighed. <sighs> <laughs> Anyone with sense knows there are no such creatures. <laughs> Hubert grinned. Idleness makes trouble, (laughs) he agreed. Rumors of a prowling loop guru continued to spread all through that long winter. Many villagers swore they had seen the werewolf, and several sheep were badly mauled. People warned the miller. They feared for him living so far from the village. The miller only laughed at their tales of a creature with cold, bright eyes and vicious teeth. Still, now and then, he wondered where Hubert went, during the night after their checkers games, and sometimes when he noticed Hubert's large work boots caked in mud and snow or saw upon the sleeping man's face a troubled look, the miller shivered. And then he closed the window, just kidding. But then he (laughs) laughed at himself. He knew better than to believe this nonsense. 
Besides, the miller was not a fearful man. He was sensible and courageous. One night, as the miller and Hubert sat over the checkers board, the mill suddenly stopped turning. Did you hear that? Hubert asked. The two men listened to the silence. We had better go check. The two men stumbled outside, carrying a lantern for light. When they reached the mill, they began to work on the machinery, but no matter what they tried, the mill would not turn. Suddenly, the miller's lantern went out, and the two men found themselves lying on the ground in the pitch dark. I'm going in, the miller said, but no answer came. Annoyed by the stubborn mill and by Hubert's silence, he angrily made his way in the blackness back to the house. Let Hubert find his own way back, he said to himself. He was tired and cold. <laughs> when he reached the house, he left the door slightly ajar so that the light from inside might help guide Hubert home. The miller poured himself a glass of wine <laughs> and had just taken a sip when he heard a groan behind him. I'm hoping just a huge spit take then occurs. <laughs> yeah. Please sip of wine. <laughs> Just gallons of wine pouring out. <laughs> yes. Without turning, he said, Good, Hubert, you've returned. But only, but the only response was another deep groan. Hubert, <laughs> I don't want to turn around to see what you're doing. <laughs> you just, just go to your room. Go to your room. What's wrong? The miller asked. And when he turned around to look, he could not believe his eyes. A huge black creature as tall as a man, with fangs as long as icicles, and eyes as bright as burning coals, <laughs> sat at the door. Who let this dog in here? The miller asked. <laughs> Who? Who? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, Hubert, he called. Are you out there? Did you let this dog inside? I like that he's thinking of it as a dog. Is he this giant, horrible monster? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what? Come on. <laughs> Did you get out of someone's yard? Come on. The dog burst out laughing. The miller tried to step around him, and the dog advanced a step. Hubert, the miller cried. Where are you? His voice cracked with fear. I guess he should have been like, where are you? The dog leaned toward him. Or where are you? Yeah, where are you? The dog leaned toward him, and then church bells began to chime in the distance. The miller gasped. You are a werewolf. And for the first time in his life, he knew he must pray to God. <laughs> he fell to his knees, and as he did so, the loop guru leapt upon him. Somehow the miller had the sense and strength to reach behind him and pull a sickle from the wall. With this, he struck the beast on the ear. For everyone knows that that is one way to destroy a werewolf. Hmm. Very particular. Yeah. But just as the sickle hit the creature, the miller fainted away. <laughs> 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 The, the sight of blood instantly had him out cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he came to, someone was tossing cold water on his face. A familiar voice asked, What happened? Hubert? The miller asked. Oh, sorry. Uh, Hubert? The miller asked. <laughs> of course, Hubert answered. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, duh. <laughs> Where has the werewolf gone? The miller croaked. Werewolf? Ha. Werewolf. <laughs> There was, Wolf. Have you gone mad? Where have you come from? The miller asked. From the mill, of course. I've fixed it. Can't you hear it now? The miller glanced up at his old friend and saw a gash upon his ear. What's that? He asked as calmly as he could. Oh, oh what's, what's that? He asked as calmly <laughs> as he could, pointing to the wood. 
Oh, nothing, Hubert said, fingering the spot. I, stuck my, I struck my ear against the mill and cut it. I'll be fine. The miller sat straight up in bed and stared in horror at Hubert. So it was you, he cried, and he fell back upon his pillow and never regained his senses. <laughs> Hubert soon departed the place. As for the mill, the spring floods carried it away, and no one ever saw the werewolf again in those parts. So, the Quebecois Loop Guru, the French New World version of the werewolf. Yeah. But it also may have been the were-calf, small ox, cat, or even owl. Oh, wow. Yeah, there were variations on the theme in Quebec. Um, one would be at risk of becoming cursed or enchanted or what have you by generally being at bads with religion. Uh, for example, not making their Easter duty for seven years in a row. Um, once you were turned, the spell could last for as long as 101 days, hmm. taking hold of the victim every evening. <laughs> it's happening now. No, no. Taking hold of the victim every evening and forcing them to wander the countryside in animal form. The spell might be broken if someone recognized the individual while transformed and could draw blood from the animal. So it's not huh. necessarily that you have to hit them in the ear with a sickle. <laughs> um... However, neither person could speak of the incident lest they both be transformed or worse. So, for some reason, talking about it after the fact gets you cursed. A debriefing is like, oh, okay, now we're both there. <laughs> Which, of course, is like you know the perfect recipe for conspiratorial kind of yes. vibes. And actually, famously, Chuck Palahniuk got most of his ideas for Fight Club from The Legend of the Loop Guru. Um, the original title was actually going to be Hot Werewolf. <laughs> Back in 1766, this was the Monster du Jour, um, an article from the July 21st issue of the Quebec Gazette uh, reads, quote, by accounts from St. Rock near Cap Morasca, we learn that there is a werewolf <laughs> wandering about the neighborhood in the form of a beggar, which to the town of persuading people to believe what he himself is ignorant of and promising what he cannot perform adds that of obtaining what he desires what what <laughs> it is said that this animal came by the assistance of his two hind legs to quebec the 17th of last march and set out from hence the 18th following with a design to pursue his errand to montreal mm. this beast is said to be as dangerous as that which appeared last year in the country of get Jevoudan. call back <laughs> Wherefore, it is recommended to the public to be as cautious of him as it would be of a ravenous wolf. Then, on December 11th, the following year, Kamaraska, December 2nd, we learned that a werewolfie, <laughs> they added E this time, <laughs> that a werewolf, I'm saying it weirdly because it's W-A-R-E dash <laughs> wolf, um, which I guess is a wolf that sells you pottery. <laughs> which has roamed through this province for several years and done great destruction in the district of Quebec City, has received several considerable attacks in the month of October last by different animals, which they had armed and incensed against this monster. And especially the 3rd of November following, he received such a furious blow from a small lean beast that it was thought they were entirely delivered from this fatal animal as soon as as it soon time what the fuck is going on with this sense <laughs> this is all one humongous sense um that it was thought they were entirely delivered from this fatal animal i guess killed by as it soon time after retired to its hole to the great satisfaction of the public 
I guess they trained animals to try to kill this werewolf, and it seems like maybe one did hurt it really bad and went away. <laughs> but they have just learned that they have just learned as the most surest misfortune that this beast is not entirely destroyed, <laughs> but begins again to show itself more furious than ever and makes terrible havoc wherever he goes. <laughs> Beware, then, of the wiles of this malicious beast, and take good care of falling into its claws. So, there you have it. One, a tale of creation and metaphysical growth. The other, an early sci-fi original <laughs> for French nerds. <laughs> Both actually the dog man, yes. <laughs> Very good. Now, it's, it, like we talked about in the, the recent-ish episode about dog stuff, um... That was the name of the episode, right? Dog stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is just really interesting how people get so... Like, that's just such an interestingly common belief among people is the idea of humanoid dog monsters right. and that just being so scary to people and so right. common. Uh, I've said common several times. That's okay. It's scary. It's a common term. It's a... I mean, it's the... Common. <laughs> But uncommonly frightening. The Loop Guru, there's even some pages that will suggest that it sort of migrated south and west and became the Beast of Bay, Bro, uh, Bay Road. Bay, Bray Road? That makes sense. Right? Yeah, um, I mean, as far as... This, it makes To me, it makes sense. The mythological stories, sense, at yeah, least. The stories yeah. uh, migrating that way. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because the Loop Guru is from... France like originally, France. Yeah, yeah, which is neat because it's also then because when you were talking about Loop Guru, I was like, oh, I didn't know this was in, in Quebec, but it makes sense that it would be because I only ever knew it from uh, Louisiana. Oh, like exactly. Cajun tradition. It yeah. went down there um, as well. Well, they call it like, the Rougarou and the Lougarou, which is kind of like just anglicized spelling, mm-hmm. um, and some different uh, variations on that that kind of also mixed with cool Haitian mythology and oh, stuff too cool. in, in Louisiana so just get some really cool combinations of, of stories mm-hmm. yeah, we could easily spend a whole lot of time in Louisiana on an episode or, oh, or yeah. three absolutely and probably so, we will at some point so rich it's its own country in a way <laughs> it's yeah cool. it's, it's such a cool mixture of so yeah. many different cultures from so many different backgrounds and right you just yeah there's a reason that jazz Act- was invented there it's actually a really cool successfully for- melting together as exactly, well exactly yeah yeah very cool um, I do want to mention just as a quick end note that I found one other cool story that's completely separate from this that I almost did as the main segment for today. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned it to you online, but I'll just mention it here as well. Sure. Which is the Inuit experience of the Franklin Expedition. Yeah. Which, uh, if you don't know, I should have looked this up. Basically, Franklin Expedition was a bunch of dudes, white folk, trying to map out the Arctic. They went up there and it went terribly wrong. Everyone died. But before they did, they, you know, I mean, their ship got stuck in the ice and they just wandered around trying to figure it out. They run into some Inuit and do a bad job of receiving their hospitality. Um, This doesn't sound like Europeans. No. Yeah. And, uh, but it's interesting because at least in looking up these stories, I ran across the... The initial encounter with this expedition was so impactful and creepy and weird that it survived, you know, six generations of oral storytelling Mm. among the Inuit people such that we still have accounts to this day of the arrival of these sort of like frozen demons, basically. Yeah. Because these guys were completely at wit's end. 
starved and half frostbitten to death. Mm-hmm. And so when they shambled up, it was just like, this is like some weird zombie. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they didn't really know how to access Inuit culture in a useful way. So the Inuit like built these guys their own igloo, gave them a bunch of seals for food and sustenance and what have you. And when they came back to check in on them, the guys wound up just eating each other. (laughs) And they were like, hmm. (laughs) Well, well, (laughs) it's going to close this igloo right here. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, But I didn't want to use it as the main story because unfortunately it does sound like the Inuit also got very sick from running into these guys and it was not a good scene. Mm. So anyway, an interesting angle. Too dark. Yes, indeed. But uh, worth looking into for anyone interested at the end. Yeah, we can for sure post a link to what you found. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you for, for some more dog times. Yes, indeed. <laughs> My pleasure. I don't know about you. I know about me. <laughs> oh, tell me about you. I think it's time that we uh, have another segment of The, the Cloth. Cloth. First time listeners to this particular segment, we drink beer on the show. We always drink beer on the show, and now we do it in a, a kind of official capacity. And uh, in doing so, we will pick funky fun beers that have either been suggested to us by fans or ones that we have just dredged up from the world mm-hmm. to rate on three extremely well-known categories. Exactly. So the first is physicality. How the beer is. What does it look like? What's the labeling of the beer look like? What does the actual body of the beer seem to be like? Chuckability, which of course is, how quick could one drink this beer? Mm-hmm. Is it a sipper? Is it a chugger? We'll find out. Mm-hmm. And, and of last, course, the most important, joie de vivre. So our beer this time is AK Alive, Alaska Alive. I'm not sure how you actually say it. but Akaliv. A colleague, that's right. <laughs> uh, an Alaskan wild ale by Mikeller. Mikeller? And, uh, yeah. It's an Alaskan brand of beer. It's very cool. They're very cool. We've got sort of an igloo with a hand busting out of it. That's right. It's a nice pink and purple kind of motif going yeah, on. Yeah, it's pretty. So what would you say for the physicality of this beer so far? So far, I'm liking the bottle a lot, but I'll have to see. We have to open like itself. a whole champagne cork style situation. That so. also ups the physicality quite a bit. It's very classy. You're going to put down the mic while I uh, record you doing this. That's pretty nice. <laughs> kind of a squeaky sound, and there's a nice... Uh, so now we get the audio of the pour. So I keep doing this thing where I hold both the mic and the camera really close to the thing I'm trying to record. That's not good for the video, but it is good for the audio, I guess. So... Heady pour, yes, that was um, that was one, and oh, so here's mine. Let's see how this sounds. It's cryptically quiet today. Yes, it is cryptically quiet. We'll say that it wasn't as disgusting sounding no. a pour as usual. I will admit, I was hoping it would be. <laughs> All right, so. let's pour just a little more. Uh huh. Right off the top, it smells great. Ooh, yeah, it does smell great, and it looks great. I'm going to give this a physicality of 10. I am going to give it the same. This is a very physical beer. <laughs> Let's see what the chug ability is like. kicking my ass. 
Ooh. Hmm. That's good. I like it. Yeah, that's real good. The farmy factor gave me a little hoof to the tongue at first. <laughs> in a good way. Yes, I would describe this as wild. And I would describe it as ale. And I would describe it as chuggable. Chuggable? <laughs> uh, maybe. I mean, it's got some nice complex flavor to it that I think no, is I'm not, really tasty. I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, very complex flavor. But it's also pretty smoothly drinkable, too. Mm-hmm. I will give it a chuggability of a four. Ooh, I was about to give it a seven. Holy shit. I could drink this beer fast. <laughs> I'm going to do it right now. Go, 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 go. Why it's dead? <laughs> All right. The, um, so and the course, last thing that remains, of course, is Joie de Vie. What would you say about this beer? Is Joie de Vie? I'd say this beer is pretty wild, and I'd say it's pretty ale. And this, this has been, been the craft. <laughs> Very good. Now into. My segment. Mm, yes, do tell me of your Canada. My Canada is more uh, Pacific direction, as provinces go. Mm. Um, so yeah, I want to read. BC. It. Yes, I want to read it again. That's uh, what I do. <laughs> did you create Reddit? I think. I think do I you did. Own, do you own shares of Reddit? <laughs> I own a plurality of shares of Reddit. Uh, so this one is from two years ago by Izzy eight eight eight. It has the title, The Nanny Tried to Warn Me, colon, House-Sitting Gone Horribly Wrong. <laughs> so it's a title and subtitle. I'm glad that the colon is probably a punctuation mark and not, The Nanny Tried to Warn Me, colon. <laughs> the Nanny Tried to Warn Me, colon. Uh, um, go on. So Go on with your story. <laughs> this happened a few years ago back in a mountain suburb of Vancouver, Canada. This really happened, although I wish it didn't. My aunt had just purchased a beautiful old home in this neighborhood, but being a business executive, she often traveled around Canada for work purposes. Her two children were at their dad's home for an extended period, and their live-in nanny went back to her home abroad for a much-deserved break. Therefore, my aunt asked if I could house-sit, as the large home would be unoccupied, and she felt uncomfortable with that. Mm. I feel like usually house-sitting means taking care of a pet, but oh, I, I, think I, it I means, guess not always. Yeah, you just live in the house, make sure no one breaks in. If they do, you find them off. <laughs> I agreed to this, thinking it would be a small weekend break where I could lounge around and raid their fridge. The drive was um, was about 1.5 hours from my place, and I was generally eager about the whole thing. The nanny, who uh, we were all very close to and who was like a second mother to my younger cousins, warned me before leaving that she thought the house was haunted. Mm-hmm. The country where she was from, the Philippines, has strong beliefs about the paranormal and ghosts. Side note, it was maybe a huge oversight not to include the Philippines in August around the world. world? Because, yeah, there are some truly horrific legends from oh there. Oh, my God, yeah. And lots of them. Well, it's a big world. Yeah, we we'll can definitely there. be... Well, we're going to keep going around the world. We want to make just a specific point of doing a lot of that this one month. But right. we'll be hitting up the Philippines sometime soon because it is very interesting Spook and cool. down. Absolutely. So, and said that she routinely saw a woman dressed in Victorian clothing by the outdoor pool. Hmm. She told me to do some special prayers for protection. Being a believer in the paranormal and experiencing things myself before in unrelated incidents... I took her seriously and was a bit frightened. I figured at this point, it was too late to back out. She left and I settled into the home. I was like, oh shit, this place is haunted? Oh well. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and you know, to title your story, the nanny warned me or whatever, I should have listened or something, everything went wrong. Yeah. Not much of a warning if she's just like, oh yeah, by the way, the house is probably haunted, there's like this chick who hangs by the pool, bye. 
but she said, "Here, tell say these prayers oh. to put the house." So that was the part. Spoiler that, alert! Yeah. All right. Uh, the first few hours were pretty uneventful. I just watched some TV, browsed the internet, and read some of their tabletop magazines. <laughs> I guess it was like D and D magazines. <laughs> Uh, eventually I sort of forgot about what she had said about the haunting. I ate dinner, took a brief swim, uh, and then things started to get a bit weird. I had that familiar feeling of being watched that most people report when speaking of the paranormal. I tried my best to shrug it off and realized that I had forgotten an extra towel outside on the pat- uh, one of the patio chairs when I was back when I was swimming. Mm. When I went outdoors, the towel was floating in the middle of the pool. This freaked me out a bit, but I forced myself to calm down and watch TV, hoping it would distract me. I was watching uh, reruns of My So-Called Life when the faucet in the kitchen began to pour water. I went to turn it off and noticed that a single plate lay in the center of the floor face down. Weird. So just, yeah, some, some odd details, mm-hmm. not quite right in, in a, a house that, where she's all alone. I put it away and nervously go back to the TV room, but sit in the corner with my back facing the wall because I was growing scared and didn't want something to sneak behind me like in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. From where I was sitting, you could see the outdoor pool through a glass wall slash screen, which I'm guessing is a window. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a wall <laughs> or a screen. Yeah, maybe a sliding glass door with a screen door as well. Could be. Yeah. That might wow. be, yeah. That comes up later. Does that make sense? That's yeah. funny. Go on. After about a half an hour, I noticed the water was sort of bubbling. I went to close the glass door to investigate and saw that it appeared the water was moving as if someone were doing quick laps back and forth. Yet there were no audible splash sounds to accompany the movement. I also got an overwhelming sense of dread and goosebumps formed on my arms and on the back of my neck. Mm. I turned off the TV, made sure all the doors were locked, and sprinted upstairs to the master bedroom. I curled up under the covers and started reciting the prayers the nanny taught me before she had left. must have stayed awake for what felt like hours, long after the sun had set, trying to will myself to sleep. I left the lights in the room on because I was frightened. As I closed my eyes and tried to calm down, I heard a piercing scream that seemed to come from outside the window. The light then then turned off, leaving me in darkness. Oh, no. (laughs) At this point, I'm having a heart attack, but I'm too scared to move. (laughs) Gotta call the doctor, dude. (laughs) All of a sudden, the locked windows start to flap open and shut forcefully. They're the ones that had panes that open outward, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Also, at at the same time, the thick heavy wooden doors in the hallway leading up to the bedroom began to do the same thing causing loud banging and i felt as if the whole house was shaking these doors would not have been moved by a strong gust of wind only by the forceful movement of a hand also the opening and closing of the doors and windows were all synchronized perfectly okay Uh, but after about five minutes everything stopped the silence was almost deafening and all i could hear was my stifled but heavy breath and then i heard a sound that sent shivers down my whole body the glass screen door on the first floor slid open and then shut. There were slow, methodical steps coming through the TV room and then up the stairs. Oh my god. It was as if each step were taken with intention, loud enough to knowingly scare me. <laughs> then the first door opened in the hallway. Then the other. And finally, the bedroom door creaked open. I shut my eyes tightly and listened to the footsteps as they approached the side of my bed. I felt as if a pair of eyes was, uh, were piercing through the covers at me. Then the footsteps moved to the foot of my bed. Mm. Minutes passed, and the presence and air in the room was so heavy, not one sound could be heard outside, not even the crickets that often frequented my aunt's backyard. Then all of the covers flew off of me, and I heard a loud cackle, like one might hear from a cartoon witch. <laughs> I bolted up, packed my stuff, and left that house as quickly as I could, only stopping to lock the front door as the keys slipped over and over in my shaking hands. 
I left the screen door unlocked, but figured no one would get to it anyways as there was a big fence surrounding the backyard, and frankly, in that moment, I was not my top priority. I checked into the closest hotel, too scared to drive home, and spent a sleepless night there, calling my aunt in the morning. She seemed confused when I told her what happened, and she said that she had never felt any, uh, never felt any ghostly presence there. Mm-hmm. The nanny had mentioned it a few times. I guess she never really took it too seriously. And I was like, yeah, your house is haunted. Like, no. And then just no. going about her day. Uh, she lived in the house for a couple of years after that and ended up relocating to Shanghai with her children and business uh, for, uh, for business purposes. I'm just imagining her just Shanghaiing her children. <laughs> uh, we didn't really speak of it much, but when I told my mother, she said that she had always felt creeped out there and told me that once while she was swimming, she felt as if someone had tried to push her head underwater. Mm. After that day, I always avoided that house, coming over only when necessary and when others were already inside. Wow. Very spooky. Yeah. It's a fun short little one. It's much that is fun. shorter than I realized it was going to be. No, that's fine. But, uh, it's still fun. Got some, some serious spooks there. I was trying to think, like, thinking of different things that might explain parts of it, like the idea of the water seeming like it was moving and not hearing splashes or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, if depending on if you have a house with a pool or not, you may not be used to, like, oh, when, when the pool... Um, pump like the filter turns on and the jets like the returns oh yeah that's true turn on that could cause like a lot of water swirling that you wouldn't necessarily expect if you weren't familiar with it right and it wouldn't make much of a sound at all you just no. see water moving and that, that would exactly. be it the water bubbling as well could be explained by a pump push yeah. pumping upward if yeah. there is one in there and as far as the uh windows and doors like you said a wind couldn't move it but maybe it could i don't know maybe it could have <laughs> That whole section was a little more horror movie for me. Mm-hmm. The sort of sudden kind of thing going on. Stopping, and then yeah. just stopping is a little bit haunted house, but like, yeah. you know. Even if this is all just totally made up, like it's in the R paranormal subreddit where things are meant to be not made up. It's funny because I was looking at some other stories for mm-hmm. for for to record upon and uh <laughs> And people telling a story that didn't really sound necessarily any different from a lot of other ones, but then all the people jumping and saying, this is fake. Sounds like you just made it up. fake. So it, Thanks. people there do have a... Like, They're some, scrutinizing, it, yeah. They um, People will jump on stuff that they think it isn't real, and people didn't do that at this point. Everyone's like, oh, that's really scary. They go, oh, no, and then... I mean, the in that regard, the windows and doors thing is very strange, because you would expect if one or two windows were locked open, then maybe some kind of weird changing in air pressure... Sure. Could sort of suck and slam the doors and windows, the remaining doors and windows open and shut. Yes. But if everything were slammed shut and the house was sort of sealed. It could be a deal where everything slammed shut, but kind of just like, you know, closed, but then kind of bounced off again. That's true. And then could do it a couple times. That's true. It's if if we assume this isn't all just totally fictitious and try to think of how what could have happened, then it does stand to reason that that's the kind of thing that could happen. Like, I know... Any house I've lived in, when if there's like a, if, if all the doors, if, say if all the windows are closed and you have like a door open someplace and you open and close like the front door or something, mm-hmm. it can cause a lot of stuff to move. Oh, absolutely. Pretty just like yeah, quite air, far away pressure, as well. Yeah, like across the entire yeah, house. Yeah, it's air very pressure, strange. It's a really interesting thing. It's very cool. Yeah. So yeah, you could have something like that potentially happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be weird. And again, if you're saying anytime you stay in someone else's house, it's a whole different experience. And it's mm-hmm. almost I've only house sat twice. I was going to say it was always a creepy experience, but one time it was not so much. I, I So in both cases, it was mostly to take care of dogs. They Actually, in both cases, three dogs at each house. Aww. 
uh, and one of the dogs at, at my uncle's house was a Siberian Husky, Ooh. who was also very young, and so she would want to oh get up in the God. morning to go. I that was a nightmare. Well, I'd wake up each morning with a wolf standing on my chest, yeah. just looking at me. Take and like, me oh, out, sorry. It's time to go. She was very playful and nice and stuff, but oh. she was just yeah, uh, very husky. energetic, yeah. so, so I had to bring her outside at like four in the morning every, every morning. Right. The other time I house that was for my friend Emma and like their, her, um, her family. It was for her brother's graduation from college, mm-hmm. and so um, they're staying down there for that. And so they're going to be gone for like a, a whole weekend, maybe like three days or something. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed in their house the whole time. And it's an older house in the middle of the woods in Maine. Mm. And yes, it's a little bit more of a rustic style kind of thing. And I was just alone by myself. I was just all by myself and. <sighs> And that, that was also the, this is back in high school. This is when I discovered creepypasta mm. as a thing. And like was like reading stuff. I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, these are scary stories. And then I was just alone in this dark house. It's like, well, that was a mistake. Also in, the, <laughs> also in their kitchen, they had a trap door on the floor. And I was what? wondering where that went. That's um, fucking creepy. Like, it's kind of like a root cellar sort of thing. Um, and I always thought, like, oh, I just never thought while I was over there to, to, like, to see what was inside. I was like, well, I'm here. I can just check it out. But I didn't think to do that until it was nighttime. And I opened it. It oh, was open to blackness. It's like. This wasn't the time to do that. <laughs> I, I did, I did the bad again. thing. Yeah. yeah. So then um, time to go to bed and I, I ended up like just like sleeping in the master bedroom because that's where all the dogs wanted to sleep and they were really upset if I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And the master bedroom, um, the bed faced a staircase that like went um, it went up a few steps and then like turned 90 degrees and then went up to the left Ooh. into the attic, which was just open. What the fuck? What the fuck? And so when I had all the lights out, it was just like stairs going up into darkness that I was just facing. Why would you have a room like that? I was like, well, this sucks. <laughs> oh my God. That's the creepiest possible arrangement. Yeah. Luckily, I had three dogs just on the bed. So that Ugh. that was what made it work. I was like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That'll counterbalance it, it. Yeah. But it was just... The point of all this being that sleeping in someone else's house can be a scary experience. It can be strange. Once your mind starts to go someplace, you'll get scared. If you have the nanny of the house tell you, it's haunted, you need to say these prayers. Say these fucking, literally say your prayers. Yeah. (laughs) It's so haunted, you need to say (laughs) your prayers. Or say say my prayers specifically, they're better than yours. These are designed to prevent being murdered. So that could be a just a great deal of what we usually do is priming, yeah, priming yourself to be freaked out by stuff. So were there footsteps leading up? I don't know. Were, like whatever might have happened, I don't know about the sudden silence and then cackle. That the made. the be- the blankets and the cackling is absolutely a ghost. <laughs> but everything up until then was probably something else. Probably something like, else. Something else was happening, and then a ghost yeah, was coincidentally was there. there at the end. But um, up until then, yeah, it was um, explainable. But. Yeah, if we assume Spooky. not a totally made up story, yeah. there might be some stuff that could explain parts of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if not, hey, it's a very well told mm-hmm. story. And I enjoyed it very much. Excellent. Thank you. Dare we bust out the NC AAA device to use the Pandare function? I think it is time we uh, we do some pandering. <laughs> um, <laughs> so pan- I think it's time for pander. So we have this arcane computer we designed many episodes ago, and uh, we managed to add on a function called the Patron Appreciation Neural Dive for Evaluation of Risk. So essentially we'll use the NCAA device's connectors, uh, we'll stick those into our brains, 
and <laughs> boot the pander function and uh, we will figure out what cryptid our wonderful patrons should avoid. We'll do one each, and yes. uh, we'll do more next episode. Mm-hmm. So let's get this thing going. Turned on, all right. Turning it on. Okay, it is very oh, yeah. much on. Puts off a lot of heat these it days. Does. <laughs> Wonder if we should like do this segment outside in the future. I don't know. Could do. I also know a uh, good computer cooling gel company, specifically for skin. <laughs> That's good. And, this computer um, has a lot more skin than my other computers do. Let's do it. All right. Do you want I'll me to stick go first? This thing in. Okay. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's good. Okay, just. Oh. Ooh, yep. Mm, it's getting a little easier each time. Uh, yeah. I barely feel it that time, to be honest. <laughs> should I? Should I jump in first? And yeah, go Alrighty. for it. So I'll have to focus in on our our very dear patron Audrey from somewhere south of Chicago. And Audrey, you need to be ever vigilant lest you run afoul of Mussy. <laughs> That's right. Whenever possible, lake <laughs> monsters must be named as similarly to Nessie as can be managed, no matter how clumsily this butchers the name of the lake in question. What's the lake name? In this case, Muskrat Lake, seventy-five miles or so north of Ottawa, Ontario. Oh. To be fair. Uh, the creature was previously called a Hapaxalor. Hapaxalor. Which witness Donald Humphrey said just popped into his head as a possible name for the, uh, to describe what he had seen in his fateful encounter. It had nothing to do with the prescription medication he was on. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, the point of order. No, Audrey, I did not plan to deliberately have a Canadian cryptid pop up in this segment during our Canada episode of August Around Found the, the world. world. This is simply what the random page, I mean, pander function yes. determined was your match. Yes. Uh, anyway, Humphreys and others describe Mussy the Hapaxalor as a <laughs> great serpent with three eyes and sharp teeth that towered over its potential prey. Three eyes? Mm. Some say it has two horse-like ears on top of its head mm. with an extra ear in between pointing backward like a reverse unicorn horn. That's how you know it's real. Mm-hmm. However, the interest of several Mussy enthusiasts of various professional grades has helped to organize witness accounts and streamline the modern perception of Mussy that appears less exaggerated. It's now most popularly imagined as an unknown type of marine mammal, sharing traits with a seal or a walrus. Hmm. There's a lot of questions about you know, where it is. doesn't seem like it's accessible by seals or walruses, mm-hmm. but uh, it at least sounds like mm-hmm. the appearance matches that more. So thus, should you ever encounter Mussy, we here at Super Superstitious strongly recommend that you behave in the exact way you currently behave anytime you encounter a walrus. And... If you do get to see one, you will have seen the number one must-see cryptid. <laughs> so that is our advice to you, Audrey. Thank you for Thank your support. Thank you very much. All right. Allow me to focus in here on Lauren from Dover, New Hampshire, who also just happens to be our art designer and friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> she may or may not live in this very far building. <laughs> she may or may not be pointing a gun at my head. <laughs> Okay, Lauren. Aha. Be on the lookout for the Mount Kansing Dragon Snake. Oh my god. Described by locals of Indonesia as a flying winged dragon like creature. Winged. Locals simply <laughs> said the appearance is like that of a serpent, but with horse like head. Oh wow. Kind of sounds like Nessie, or I guess now Mussy. <laughs> on vacation <laughs> it also has two wings different from usual concepts of dragons in asia so i guess we're looking at a worm w according to ahmed a villager in the past this dragon has been terrorizing the pesarwaran village 
uh, for years. Many small children and babies have been abducted by the dragon and eaten. Oh no. I guess it is kind of cool for the dragon to abduct first, eat later, as I suppose <laughs> it gives parents a chance to get them back. There's like a whole ransom thing going on. Too. Yeah, it calls in. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he wants so much money. Um, a word of wisdom for you, Lauren. If you are abducted by a long snake with wings, get ready to fight for your life. <laughs> and thank you so much for your support, your art design, and generally being dope. <laughs> well, I guess we could pull these out of our heads. Yeah, probably a good idea to do it sooner rather than later. Not like this. <laughs> Just kidding. It's Matrix reference. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, what year did that come out again? Mm. But yes, each episode we will be randomly selecting some patrons to have their Cryptids fortune randomly told. selected. <laughs> And uh, yes, we thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support so much. If any listeners out there have not yet joined the Patreon, we have lots of cool perks and merch and things. Curated and outtakes, uh, stickers, yes. really unique design stickers that you can only get through that. You get, I, you'll get you be part of a sticker club. Mm-hmm. Uh, the glug sucks. <laughs> um, and also uh, bonus minisodes. And uh, it's just a good time all around. And you'll if be you, helping you know, build the show. If that seems a little you know, outside of your, your price range at the moment, that's fine. We also offer uh, the option to rate and review us for free on uh, Apple Podcasts. All it costs is about three minutes. <laughs> and we <laughs> would love you forever. Yes, your, your positive words uh, about us would be just so helpful in getting visibility to the show. We could find more new listeners like, like you guys. But uh, yeah, with that said, thanks for joining us. See you next week. Well, we'll be going to uh, Australia. Australia. <laughs> <laughs> See you then. Bye.